Now, Christianity has its 13th apostle, a faithful witness to the love, mercy, and truth of Jesus Christ. How about you? Will you be the 13th apostle? spiritual a slave song this one performed by cynthia liggins thomas welcome back friends to another episode of the 13th apostle where we explore the good beautiful and true of the catholic faith in its church as well as some of its less than good beautiful and true members this is tom caffrey with my co-host dan duddy how you dan hey tommy how are you buddy okay my uh voice uh, keeps uh Going back and forth, depending on the day. So uh, one day soon, I hope. Yeah. Full, full throated. Creeping back. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was a, uh, uh, as I said, uh, a slave song, and uh, it was very moving, uh, very poignant, and it speaks to the America's original sin, for which we are still paying the consequences. We're going to talk about the book uh, Building a Civilization of Love, a Catholic Response to Racism by Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, who is on the air with us now. Deacon Harold, welcome to the 13th Apostle. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be with you today. Now, you've spoken publicly about this theme for a while before writing this book. You know, I... I'd like you to take a few minutes to share with our audience the essence of your message and what you hope to achieve by exhorting others to live that message. Yeah, so during the pandemic, I I usually travel about 250,000 miles a year. And obviously during the pandemic, I couldn't travel, so I was home. And uh, I was thinking about what to do with my time. And I had two things on my heart that I want. I felt I wanted to write about. One was uh, about the diaconate. I was approaching my 20th anniversary of diaconal ordination. So I wanted to write something about the diaconate, and I wanted to write something about uh, racism. The racism piece came up um, because, obviously, during that time, there was the George Floyd incident and all kinds of tensions regarding race relations in, in our country. And um, I didn't really see any response to that that would really help to uh, bring healing and reconciliation and close the racial divide. What I saw was a lot of anger, a lot of polemics, a lot of posturing. Um, Since the death of Martin Luther King, there has been a void and a chasm in the discussion of race. And um, there's really no one that really stepped in to fill that void. And in lieu of that, you see a lot of organizations and individuals who claim 
to be um, to discussing race and and helping to uh, bring forward this discussion in our much needed discussion in our country. But what you, what it really is is a front for a whole other agenda has nothing to do with racism whatsoever. And so, in the midst of that leadership vacuum, I felt that the Catholic Church was perfectly positioned to be able to take the lead in this issue. And basically picking up, not not filling, I mean, obviously no one can replace Martin Luther King, but at least we can pick up the mantle and, and carry it forward in the way that he talked about this issue. I mean, because think about it, during the time of Jim Crow, where it was like written into the law of the country, racism was written actually into the laws of the land. Um, how is Martin Luther King during that time, a preacher, able to bring people together? He was able to transcend black versus white and liberal versus conservative and Republican and Democrat. and all. He was, he was able to transcend all of that and really bring a message that brought people together. And, and since he died, that, that message has been lost. So I felt, you know, I think he was affected because he rooted everything he was doing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And who better to carry that message forward than, than the Catholic Church, which is the faith that was founded by Jesus Christ himself. And so as instead of these governmental solutions, instead of pushing an agenda forward, I wanted to bring the message of Jesus Christ forward. And uh, I, again, I felt like the Catholic Church is perfectly positioned to do this, um, to talk about this important issue and to really to help people see the image and likeness of God in person standing in front of them. Mm-hmm. But Deacon Harold, I'm a cradle Catholic, and I'm 67 years old. I can, you know, finally recall going all the way back to being an altar boy. But I can, I can recall a sense of Catholic pride, and to a large degree, really how respected the Church was, even across the world. You know, when, when there was a crisis, especially so. You know, the question was, what is the Church going to say? What does the Church say? Uh, we were the, the moral pillar or, or the go-to. And we would, in the spirit of church and state, we'll say, separation of church and state, we would boldly enter into the state and we would have a voice. And we, we would nurture it. We would be a factor you know, for unity amongst the division that would happen in that crisis. Now it appears the state has intruded deeply into the church, or some might say it has been invited to a degree. And uh, But these divisions are everywhere within the church and outside the church and politics. But how can we? Deacon Harold, how can we get a divided church to step up in these crucial areas that you're so justifiably passionate about? Well, the thing is, we we can't do what we did before in the past is rely on leadership in the church. And what I mean by that is the moral credibility of bishops is seen by many in the country to be shot, Mm -hmm. um, largely due to the sex abuse scandal. I mean, think about it. Just 50 years ago, Fulton Sheen was an Emmy Award-winning number one television show on regular television. I mean, you you would never see anything like that now. So just in one generation, the the change that has happened, where now they're cursing God on television. I mean, think about this. You know, I don't. I'm not a big television watcher. During the pandemic, I watched a little more television than I would normally watch, and and I never know why I didn't notice this before. Whenever they curse God, it's always Jesus. You know, Jesus, God, how come it's not Buddha then? How come it's not Muhammad instead of Jesus? Muhammad, why is it always Jesus? Because this crooked and depraved generation, as St. Paul calls it, or as 
Jesus Christ himself says it's adulterous and sinful generation. They know who the real God is, and that's the God that they mock. Mm. So we can't stand by and wait for church leadership to do something because uh, just let's be honest. I mean, they're talking about things that are safe, the environment, migrants, immigrants. Those are all important. I'm an immigrant myself. I mean, I get it. Those are important issues. But people aren't leaving the church over migrants. They're leaving the church because they don't know Jesus Christ. They don't know he's present, body, blood, soul, divinity, the Eucharist. They're compromising their faith for 30 pieces of silver of the culture. That's the problem. And that's what we're not addressing. I can't tell you how many times when I travel, no matter what, I've been to 31 countries preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and Catholic faith. I can't tell you how many times I've heard young people say, in every country I've been in, we want to hear the truth and we're not hearing it. So instead of waiting for someone to do it for us, we have to do it ourselves. So my whole strategy is parish-based. The domestic church, the, the church of the home, John Paul II called, you know, mothers, fathers, and children. But the parish is also, in a sense, our home, you know. Uh, so why don't we come together as a parish family and, and begin to discuss these issues in a deep and meaningful way and from the grassroots begin to open our lives and open our hearts to receive everything that God wants to give us once we break down these walls of racial division. Parishes can do it. A lot of parishes are multicultural. Even those that don't can invite the Hispanic parish, the Vietnamese parish, or the black Catholic parish down the street and, and have potlucks and, and um, have some discussions over documents that the bishop's written over the years on racism and, and, and really begin to create an environment where it's okay to talk about these difficult issues. Because I think that's the only way we can move forward. And again, the key is Genesis 127. I mean, it's on the first page of the Bible. Seeing the image and the likeness of God in the person standing from Not a stereotype, not a, a generalization. We have to recognize our prejudices, confront them, and then move past them in order to truly make a difference and to really live Jesus's words of love God and love your neighbor as yourself. But we have to see that person as our neighbor in order to love them the way God calls us to. Yeah, and it can't be, you use the singular, although it's often meant as an abstract uh, when you said neighbor. Uh, it's uh, so often it's, Love your neighbor, uh, but it's this—it's an abstract term for most people, it seems, uh, because so often today people are so isolated. They've got their seventy-two-inch TVs. They're not going out into the public square, uh, and so there's an intentionality of saying, "Okay, well, I'm going to go across the street, or I'm going to say hello to that neighbor, and again witness witness the kindness, the generosity." Uh, you know, you, when you talked about. Why don't they say Buddha, Buddha Dam or uh, Muhammad Dam? I've thought that many times over the years, and I concluded, well, Buddha's just going to let it slide right off his back. He's not going to, he's he's not going to even acknowledge it. Uh, uh, Muhammad's followers, there's a perceived threat these days, but for a faith and a person that says, love your enemies, turn the other cheek. Well, what do they have to fear from us? Uh, they're just gonna. They're just gonna. We're we're number one. Maybe not quite as number one as we were in terms of the the, the church. But it's you know what are we putting forth? And this is a, this is a massively complicated problem because 
if a cottage industry forms out of a grievance and people make money and wield power, you know, because of it, they have little or no incentive uh, to help eliminate that problem. And so all it takes is another incident of police brutality, a banker hiking the interest rate uh, uh, for a black family, uh, a realtor jacking up the price to damage, uh, you know, that'll, that'll damage race relations. Uh, conversely, you know, when you think about what's in the news today, uh, and, and this is just one example, uh, favoritism toward a person of color because of that color, as seems apparent today in the news with Harvard's president, Claudine Gay, that entrenches the opposition. So we have, I think there's a double, a double task. It's number one, getting, our, getting the message out, witnessing that message as, as opposed to just speaking it. But then had to say, this is a better way, even though there's money to be made out of this grievance, there's a better way. And that, that's a challenge for us. Yeah, and that, and that way is is Jesus Christ. So you're right. You got on the one hand, you have to deal with the issue of uh, prejudice and, and pervasive racism, and on the other hand, you have to balance the overcompensation. You know, oh, I'm I apologize for being white. I, I'm sorry, I have white privilege. Or, or like you said, uh, you know, um, favoring other people because they're uh, because of the color. Like for example, in my state of Oregon, they were dropping, um, you know, like standardized testing. Um, because he said, well, you know, because not all the children can score well on the thing. Well, hold, 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 stop, stop, stop. <laughs> you don't lower the standards. You, you, you help raise people up to meet the standard. You know, I mean, I, I don't want to get a job or I don't want to go to a college that accepts me. Well, because we need, we need more black kids. So you're not, you, know, you really didn't meet the academic requirements, but because you're black, we'll, get, we'll let you slide. I don't want that. I want to, I want to be able to meet the requirements and people look at me at the same level as someone else and not make a decision based on my color. But as, as Martin Luther King said, he, he wants to live in a world where people look at the content of your character, not the color of your skin. And we're not there yet. And uh, the, the cultural responses to it are not working. You know, uh, reparations or dropping and lowering uh, college admission standards, all these things that they think are, well, this is how, we, this is how we're going to help. Those aren't working. So that's why I'm proposing that the Catholic Church take the lead to really begin. Because, look, what, what people are trying to do is break down structures. What we have to do is change people. You know, mm -hmm. uh, and that, that's, the, that's the problem with, uh, with things like critical race theory and Black Lives Matter movement. And you know, they're, they're looking at changing structures. But Jesus didn't come to save structures. He came to save people. And that's mm -hmm. where we need to start. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm a I'm a glass half full guy. Uh, Deacon Harold, and longtime football coach for 40 years, until recently, uh, you know, retiring from that. But we need answers. We need a playbook. You know, we we need exercises, a to do list. You know, Tom says justifiably it's a complicated problem, and perhaps it truly is. But this simplicity is the antidote to you know complexities and i believe you're an ex-cop right from new jersey yes. are you not yeah yeah, so, yeah. I'm, in several different places yes gotcha yeah so you're a boots on the ground guy and uh, you've been in the muck and the mire as tom liked to say pretty much we can say you've seen it all and you're in your chapter six which is entitled a catholic response to racism you say 
racism is a learned behavior and Catholics can play a significant proactive role in breaking down the walls of racism by taking on a hands-on approach. But what does that look like in our schools, though, Deacon Harold? I mean, our, our schools are sending the kids to the Catholic high schools. Where's our leadership in that? How do, we, how do we do this? How do we communicate with them? I know that it's in the hands of us. It's in the hands of the laymen, and you know, we're on fire to do so, but just how do we do this? Where are we at with our schools? Well, you know, it's interesting that you mention that because um, if you look in that chapter, I don't specifically talk about schools. Um, and the reason for that is, 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 sadly, many schools aren't teaching the Catholic faith. They're basically very expensive public schools. Uh, so until they're ready to actually start teaching the Catholic faith, not just paying lip service to it, then nothing's going to change. So what? So what, as I, you mentioned me doing trainings before the book came out. So I was, as I was writing the book and as I was formulating ideas, I was doing trainings like Archdiocese of Detroit and also some trainings for some schools in Arlington, Virginia area, things like that uh, on this issue. As far as schools, like, you know, for example, they have Black Catholic History Month, which is November, you know, and I think that's a nice start. But I don't think we should, I mean, we should work to eventually eliminate that because black Catholic history shouldn't be limited to a month. It should be integrated into how we learn about our faith as Catholics. You know, like people say, well, you're a black Catholic. No, I'm a Catholic who's black. And what do you mean? Are you, are you denying your cultural heritage? No. When I die and stand before Jesus Christ, he's not going to ask me how black I am. Did you, did you pick up your cross and follow me? I, when it was hard, when, when people were mocking you, when, when people were slandering you for, for standing up for the truth. And, and did you stand up for me? Did you did you pick up your cross and, and keep going like I did? I fell three times. And I got up and I kept going and I mounted that cross. and I was nailed to it for you. Were you willing to do that for me and for others? He's going to ask. Me, I gave you three talents. I gave you husbandhood. I gave you fatherhood. I gave you diaconate. Where's my 30, 50, 100-foot return on the investment I made in you? That's what he's going to ask. Now, that doesn't mean I deny. I mean, I, I was born in Barbados. I love my Caribbean heritage. I love, I love my food and my culture. I still speak our dialect. I love everything about being black. But that is not my identity. My identity is as a mm. son of the living God, mm. fed and nourished by the body, blood, soul, divinity of Jesus Christ. My identity is a divine identity, not a cultural construct. So and when you start to see someone that way, when you see the image and likeness of God in that person, now you're able to appreciate all the beautiful accoutrement that goes along with who that person is, their culture, their race, their heritage, their language, their food. You're able to appreciate that because you see Christ in the person in front of you. That's the strategy that like you said, very simple, that I lay out in that last chapter. And until schools are ready to really start teaching the Catholic faith and not compromising the faith and not bringing in things into the schools that have nothing to do with the faith, like I said, they're just doing the same thing the public schools are doing. Um, the schools aren't going to change. Simple as that. Well, on that, uh, that leads me to probably my last question for you. Uh, you, you said that you modeled your program and the book on Pope John Paul II's uh, Letters to Families, which was published almost uh, 30 years ago, 1994, in the year of the family. So we are coming up to the 30th anniversary of that letter. But when 
just the content of this conversation, and we see the depressing statistics on family, gender, relationships, church, uh, we can justifiably wonder how many families actually read that letter, let alone lived it. And so with that in mind, what, if you can name two things, what gives you hope? You know, if we celebrate the 30th anniversary of Deacon Harold's program, you know, perhaps, you know, that your Catholic response to racism will be read or heard in the same way that, you know, it was or wasn't read, heard, or lived with John Paul II's uh, letter. I mean, is it von Balthasar's, uh, Father uh, Hansberg's, von Balthasar's theology of love? Is it, as you said earlier, removing the first brick in the wall of racism, which is the Imago Dei, the image of God? Is it Psalm 13, which you write so uh, you, you, you reference in the book? What what are those? Yeah, I think two? it's all of the above. <laughs> I think it's all of the above. I think we have to start. See, the, the why I say prejudice, uh, racism is learned behavior. When you, when you see kids on the playground, they're they're three, four, five years old. They're not, you know, they're just kids playing, they're having fun. That's say, I'm not going to play with you because you're Hispanic or you're Asian. They they don't do that. What right. happens over time is you people begin to to be exposed to television and movies and social media and and stereotypes and jokes from friends and parents and all these other outside influences that cause them to think because if they don't have a uh, an objective or even subjective experience with some of another race their ideas are formulated from all these other external stimuli and so they begin to form in their mind this is what this person must be like this is what this race must be like and, and those are prejudices and and we have to recognize those and be able to say, you know what, I, I recognize that I have this, but I have to deal with this person in, in that's standing right in front of me right now. Despite the fact they're black or whatever, I have to look at them as a person that God makes. What does God see See when he looks at this person? And we start from there. And then we move to like the, the, the outline I lay is very simple. Parish potlucks. I mean, when Jesus wanted to bring people together, he did it around food. Zacchaeus, get out that tree, bro. I'm coming to your house tonight to eat. You know, how many times Jesus go to a wedding feast or to Pharisee's house and, you know, he's telling parables and stories around sharing a meal together. That's an important way to share the faith. You know, when Jesus fed the 5,000 in John's gospel, he fed them first. And then in John 6, the bread of life discourse. After he fed them physically, now he's going to feed them spiritually. You know, uh, something like putting images up in the church that reflect what the church actually looks like. So if you have a church that say you don't have much diversity at all, just putting up a picture of uh, Josephine Bakita. Now, imagine a five year old, a six year old girl walking with her dad. She's never seen a black saint. All she sees is these images on television. All of a sudden, she sees a black saint hanging on the wall of the church. Daddy, who's that? That's St. Josephine Bakita. And she's like, well, who was she? Mm. And her father tells her she was a slave and, and she was beaten and abused, but she came to, to come to Catholic faith. She became a nun and she found her, and, and, like, and she forgave the people that hurt her. And, and now imagine the image that's forming in this child's mind when she looks at someone who's black. Because now she says, hey, wait a minute, there are saints in the church that look like this. You know, it's a whole different way of approaching. It's getting simple, but, but effective. You know, like I talk about mixing choirs, you know, if you have a, a diversity of choirs, have cross pollinating them in the different masses, um, you know, having little study sessions and groups in the, in the parish. 
um, where we, we're going through some of the uh, wonderful documents written by bishops on, in the United States on race. You know, putting God back into society. Again, it's these simple things that often make the biggest difference. We just have to want it and desire it. Well, yeah, you're... simple fundamentals. I think we're heading toward the end here, right, Tom? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I just want to give a, give an excerpt from the book. Is that okay, Tom, real quick before we wrap it up? Yeah, quickly, Dean. Uh, yeah. You pull on from uh, Pope John Paul II, and it wraps it up beautifully, Deacon Harold. He says, quote, God is love. In himself, he lives in mystery of personal loving communion, creating the human race in his own image and continually keeping it in being. God inscribed in the humanity of man and woman the vocation, and thus the capacity and responsibility of love and communion. And here's here's the killer, here's the truth, here's the simple fundamentals. He writes, love is therefore the fundamental and innate vocation of every human being. Amen. 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 Well, no matter how difficult the problem, as Psalm 13, as you reference, and all the, all the Psalms of Lamentation, it's still... Psalm 22 is followed by Psalm 23, and there's always hope with our Lord. Amen. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, Building a Civilization of Love, a Catholic Response to Racism. Thank you so much for joining us for a conversation today on the 13th Apostle. Well, thank you for having me. It was great to be with you. Thank you, Deacon Harold. God bless you and your family, and Holy Advent, and Merry Christmas. Thank you. To you guys as well. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. All right. God bless you. Bye-bye. God bless you. All right, folks, we're going to stay tuned now for The Angelus and then your prayer intentions by Peter and Jimmy. We want to thank, and we do thank, Ignatius Press, particularly Kevin Wandra and Andrea Boring for providing us with copies of Deacon Harold's book and for arranging this interview. Thanks also, as always, to Gene, James, Tom, and the rest of the crew, and especially our captain, Marianne. Uh, WQPHradio.org. Friends, tell friend. Tell friends, better yet, tell your enemies to listen to the 13th mm-hmm. Apostle and to all the fine programs on this station and network. You're listening, so you must like at least some of what you hear. So to keep this mm-hmm. station going, please consider supporting it. Without your support, there's no WQPH radio and no 13th Apostle. God bless you, Danny. God bless you, Tommy. And uh, God bless you, Deacon Harold. If you're still on, God bless you all. Jesus. Thank you for listening to The 13th Apostle with Dan Duddy and Tom Caffrey. For more information on Dan, visit his website at www.danduddy.com or email dcduddy at gmail.com. Tom's website is faithpilgrims.com or email trcaffrey at faithpilgrims.com. How about you? Will you be The 13th Apostle?